0: Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. coffee and comics podcast. I am your host, the caffeinated Clinton (laughs) Robinson, And of course, you know, this is the show where I usually look at a comic in the span of time it takes to have a nice little coffee break. And we're kind of going to do that this time. And I do mean we, because I have a guest with me today, the one and only, the multi-talented Ron Randall.
1: (laughs) Hi, Clinton. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Oh, always a pleasure to have you here, Ron. <laughs> All right, for those of you who aren't familiar with Ron Randall, shame on you. And but you know we'll we'll forgive you this time. Sure. You know Ron is the writer, artist, creator of the series Trekker, which follows the adventures of twenty third century. Is it twenty third century? Yes. Right. <laughs> yes, twenty third century bounty hunter Mercy Saint Clair. Oh, and it's May 2022 right now. Guess what, folks? Trekker is uh, 35 years old at this point. <laughs> That's astonishing, isn't it?
1: <laughs> Even for me to hear it said out loud is kind of like, whoa. <laughs>
0: but, yeah, it, it's really weird that Trekker is 35 years old and Ron is only 38.
1: <laughs> I started at a very young age. I'm very precocious. What can I say?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I did say multi-talented. <laughs> oh, But since th- Trekker is 35 years old, I thought I would have Ron on to take a look back at Trekker number 1, which came out in May of 1987. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, obviously, Trekker number one is not the first appearance of Mercy or the Trekker story. That came in Dark Horse Presents, but wasn't very long before you only got to spin off into its own six-issue series.
1: Right? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it came more suddenly <laughs> than I was than I was expecting. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously, it was a it was a very exciting time
0: for me. Oh, which, of course, you know, six issues was not nearly enough life for Mercy. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the Trekker stories have uh, continued on through, throughout the years and going strong now in uh, graphic novel form. hmm So, I guess let's take a look back at Trekker number one. Oh, man. It, just, it takes your breath away, doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Story and art by Ron Randall. So, you know, we we can really be nitpicky here, folks. <laughs>
1: yeah, we can. That's right. You can hold my toes to the fire on every aspect of this one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but for some reason, you know, Ron decided to uh, hand off the lettering duties to Ken Brusenag. Well, yeah, I mean... Uh,
1: how, how can I how can I say this? Uh, I I did learn at least how to do rudimentary uh, comic book lettering, but it's a highly specialized and skilled task. And Ken Brusenack, just one of the great one of the great letters in comics, I think he's got a great sort of dash and uh, almost a swagger, I think, to his approach in lettering. And it was a great fit for Trekker. I was really thrilled that we were able to get him to come on board.
0: So take that to heart, folks. Everybody who thinks all you got to do is just write in the little bubbles, it, it's a little more than that. It's a little bit more than that, absolutely, yep. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Alrighty, so this story was called Smuggler's Blues. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, in an alley in New Gellif, you know, that city that Mercy is in. Mm-hmm. A couple of crooked cops meet their end in a deal gone wrong. Later, at the 23rd precinct, Mercy St. Clair and her Uncle Alex, always like Uncle Alex, <laughs> they both agree that the criminals need to be taken down, and it doesn't matter whether it's the police or a trekker who gets to them first. The police drop a name that Mercy recognizes, and after dismissing potential boyfriend Paul, she's off on the hunt. Mercy shakes down her old contact Les Mousy for some information. Les Mousy is reluctant until an attempt on his life by other criminals changes his mind. Some time later Molly Sundowner takes Mercy out to lunch. The two discuss things as friends do, but Molly makes sure to give Mercy a bit of food for thought too. Good old Molly. <laughs> Using her intel from Lesmusi, Mercy tracks Straven and his men through a series of tunnels in the dark. Thank goodness she has those infrared goggles. <laughs> she narrowly avoids an ambush and takes out most of the smugglers. She chases Straven down a pathway where she shows—I'm sorry—where he shows her. He's holding a detonator and two small creatures that present a potential unlimited food source for humanity. Straven claims the government doesn't want people to gain access to the creatures, citing a reliance upon big business. Straven asks Mercy if she's ever worked for anything bigger than herself, but he feels he already knows the answer. He activates the detonator rather than being brought in, killing himself with Mercy narrowly escaping. Afterward, Molly can... Molly, goodness... (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I got typos here, folks. Afterward, Mercy can only collect the bounty on the lesser criminals, as there's not enough of strafing to identify. She doesn't tell anybody about the small creatures, except Molly. A very tired Mercy falls asleep on Molly's balcony and doesn't wake up until the next morning, when it's time to get up and go do the trekker thing all over again. <laughs> And that, folks, is Smuggler's Blues. So, well done. a Great recap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Except for, you know, trying to make Molly a Trekker. That that would um, <laughs> very much change the story. <laughs> it, would, it really would, yeah. <laughs> oh, So, Ron, uh, 35 years later, I mean, how does this sit with you looking back on it now? And how does it sit with uh, Mercy and Molly now? Uh, well, it's funny as you as you're uh, doing that little recap. I said, yeah, there's
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of good things in that story. I think it, it holds up. You know, um, I, I don't I don't have never felt that my my strong suit was um, coming up with uh, great fresh original uh, science fiction uh, high concept stuff. Uh, so the, the so, sometimes those um, th- those sort of elements of the story are. Uh, maybe not quite as um uh you know it don't seem to hold up quite as well for me or quite as well for me I mean, it's a bit of a stretch you know this little creature that could feed all of humanity but um but you know it's, it's not i don't think it's beyond the completely beyond the realm so so that part works out fairly well i think and for the rest of the story the the, the patterns of the the characters as they move through the story the way they interweave with one another interact and stuff i i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty pretty pleased with that stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, the thing with, uh, the, the Mercy and Molly relationship, uh, um, uh, you, I, I, when I, when I started the stories out, I knew that Mercy needed to have somebody that was <laughs> a safe port, <laughs> a safe harbor, you know, <laughs> uh, in, in the job. And she's got her uncle Alex, uh, on, on the, on the force and he has tremendous faith in her. Um, but she just needs you know needs somebody um that could really be a confidant, um, that wasn't part of that world. Uh, it is felt to me. And uh, I, I sort of like that incongruity incongru- con- Molly is a musician and she runs a music <laughs> shop, you know. Nothing to do with the life of being a trekker. And um so I originally um she was in these stories just as a way to sort of broaden and deepen Mercy's character because, you know, Mercy's that sort of character who's She's pretty tightly closed in and and, and um doesn't um, doesn't reveal too much. Um, so Molly is there to sort of uh, sort of help us see mercy in that kind of a relief, you know, or in that kind of a situation where where it just it just feels like it humanizes her more to have somebody like Molly who's so very human <laughs> uh, to to interact with.
0: so yeah i'm 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 pretty pleased with the elements of the story in general, yeah. Okay. So did you know then that, um, Mercy and Molly would grow to be what they are now?
1: Uh, no, uh, I got, a, I full disclosure. I didn't. When I, when I started the series, I, I knew that they were going to be, you know, be very good friends, but, um, it didn't take too long before, before I realized that, um, you know, well, I just say, you know, Mercy is really in love with Molly and Molly, you know, is, is in love with Mercy too. Um, but, uh, I, I just felt it was um it was a sort of thing that, that, that uh mercy wasn't uh wasn't seeing. You know, I, that's, I've always said about uh, Mercy that she's she's really good at being a bounty hunter and not very good at, at a whole lot of other things. Uh not a lot of uh interest in poking and prodding around in herself and that sort of stuff. She 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 would have at the beginning of the series, Mercy would prefer to just sort of be an implacable, you know, bounty hunting machine, you know. Um and all this uh, human stuff kind of gets in the way. Um, and uh, a big part of the arc of the series is is this gradual evolution of her character and uh, her her growth as as a character. that's to me, uh, that's that's the um that's a compelling chord. It's not not a thread. it's a substantial chord <laughs> that 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 holds the whole series together and what it's all about. i, I love uh, I love doing some of those those more. Um, Flashy science fictiony things, you know, spaceships and aliens, <laughs> and gun and, and bounty hunter things, gunfights and chasing chasing the desperados through the through the blasted wastelands and so on. All, all that stuff is great science fiction, trapping stuff. But the thing that keeps me coming back to the to the books and the series and movies that that I am drawn to the most is is the characters. And if are they believable? Do they feel do I feel some sense of connection of shared you know humanity? Am I invested in their journey and how they're doing and all that sort of stuff? And that's always been the um the, the primary motivation in doing doing the series from from these early stories. I mean, I knew I was telling the story about a young woman who was a bounty hunter. I'm neither of those things. So um I just had to rely on the fact that if i if I just tried to imbue her with as much, what I felt was um, Believable and recognizable human characteristics and responses and stuff that that readers uh, would would respond uh, and and again feel recognize that and say yeah I can put myself in those shoes and um I'm rooting for her to do well so that's <laughs> that's all been part of the journey and Molly obviously has become a bigger and bigger part of that as as time has gone on.
0: Okay, and anybody who is uh, following along or has read through all these and stuff knows that the early Trekker stories were in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, was that a personal choice? Was that dark, dark horse uh, saying, Hey, we're only going to pay you to do so much. Uh, oh, well,
1: it was uh, not quite either those. It was, um, it was, uh, it was the requirement because back, back then, dude, this is, you know, in the, in the, in the prehistoric times, uh, uh, before there was computer coloring and that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, the, there was – there's a huge difference economically in the price between printing a comic book in black and white and printing a comic book in full color. And when Dark Horse started out, they wanted to put out a line of books, and they didn't have the massive budget of a major company like DC or Marvel. So they couldn't afford to do their books in color. Uh, they At the beginning, you know, they, they needed to start from the ground up. And back then, there had been some small underground comics and a few indie comics companies starting up. Uh, largely in black and white because that was economically the the more viable format for them to go. So I knew going in that Dark Horse was one of these small startup companies that started out in black and white. And so that was just baked into the baked into the program. And so it was a bit intimidating. I'd been by this point I'd been drawing for for DC mostly, some for Marvel, mostly for DC for um for a few years. And I was used to their, you know, color was going to be there. Uh, I, I was always trained. Uh, I went to the Joe Kubert School, and Joe, one of the masters of comic book drawing and storytelling, from the from the golden age up through the silver age, um, and into the bronze age, um, if I've got my timeline right. Um, but Joe really um, uh, trained those kids working under him. To make our pages look solid and complete in black and white, uh, because it was very you know sort of rudimentary color process they had back then, and you you were never guaranteed you were going to get a great coloring job. So you wanted to make the book look almost indestructible in black and white. So that whatever the coloring did, if the coloring enhanced your story, that was great. Obviously, that was you know that was the bullseye. But if the coloring was only perfunctory, if it was sort of simplistic and didn't help you with separating planes and you know helping to guide the eye and establishing light sources you wanted all that stuff to be there in black and white anyway so i already had that sort of mentality in my mind going into doing trekker but also in the back of my head i was saying there aren't going to be any sort of (laughs) bright colors to finish separating things and and gussy the scene up so i um i i resorted to using uh lots of tones and textures and rendering things to try to make the pages look, you know, as, as full and complete as I possibly could, I practically killed myself. I, probably, <laughs> I think in the first few issues, especially, I went way overboard. And after I'd gotten a few issues, and I wasn't quite as panicked, I, I got a little bit more disciplined and controlled about the way I, I um, I approached handling that stuff. Uh, still, looking back on it all, I, I think it, I
0: think it holds up pretty well. So, yeah. and within the last couple of years or so, you. Uh, released trekker the complete journey where you got to go back and color a lot of these pages didn't you <laughs> yeah i did that was uh that was quite a
1: task it was it was it turned out to be really fun i was at first i was thinking you know i i did design these to be to be to appear in then black and white and as i say they had a lot of textual patterns and screens uh and and stuff and uh, so i was conscious of that because what what i have seen happen um uh, in the past especially now with with the sort of you know co- computer coloring that can happen where we can have this infinite um infinite number of special effects you know th- all done in color you know uh, to- gradations of tones patterns dropping in photo-like effects and all sorts of things can happen which can really add a lot of bells and whistles and fancy effects to a page but what i've seen happen is if if the colorist is working over line art where there's a lot of rendering that's done in black and white. Um, and then they do a lot of rendering in color. To me, those pages often look so dense. There's so much going on that you can't, I'm not, I am i do not feel invited into the story. It's like, it's impenetrable. It's so much stuff going on. My eye doesn't know where to go. It's not being led to a right place. So when I was approaching the coloring on the screen, complete journey collection, I, I tried to be very aware of the fact that what the source art was like, and I tried to keep the coloring to lay underneath the art and sort of complement it. I, I view coloring in comics sort of like the soundtrack in a movie. Uh, rarely does the, the soundtrack specifically call attention to itself. Uh, there's a few points in the movie where where you want that, the, the music to sort of really lean in there and sort of pull the, the story thread along. But most of the time, it should be a subtle sort of underpinning, um, adding to the air of whatever it is—suspense, or you know, danger, or romance, or excitement, whatever is going on. The music, the, the, it should be the 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 movie should be about the story, and whether it's the cinematography or or the music or the lighting or the acting, those things should all be serving the story. And uh, so I try to approach the color. On this uh, complete journey, kind of like that, if that if that makes sense,
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. So um, looking back at it, is there anything you would want to do differently
1: uh, on the on the smugglers' blues story mm-hmm. specifically? Yes.
0: Oh, uh, where,
1: where can I begin? Um, I, I, mean, this, that might sound contradictory since at the beginning, I said, I'm, you know, basically the story holds up pretty well. And in broad strokes, I think it does, but, uh, but, uh, I can, I can look at almost any panel of the story <laughs> and think I should have done this differently. I should have, you know, the, I, I see lots of little Flaws, drawing flaws, or uh, sometimes compositional ones, things like that, where I um, where I think, boy, I could really um, uh, you know, if if I had this to do over again now, I would I would I would be less whatever self-indulgent there. I would be more focused there. Uh, I would have constructed the figure a little more carefully here. Um, but uh, you know, comics is a, uh, it's a, it's a time. It's a time-intensive task, and you've only got so many days and hours to to get the book out. So you have to make those compromises, and that's part of the process of um, of uh, becoming a, a, an accomplished, experienced pro. You you get a little bit better about making fewer mistakes so that you can't go back and correct along the way. Um, so that's on the art end of it. Uh, as far as the story end of it, as I say, there's I'm sure very similarly. I could I would go back and maybe want to polish a little bit of dialogue here um uh maybe maybe block block out a scene with slightly different rhythm or structure uh, at at another place but overall i think it holds up pretty well again given that it's a comic of the 1980s where i mean frankly if i was doing the same story today um i would have Try to I, I would there's a lot of density in that issue uh back in the 80s you had uh, there were a lot more panels per page in most comic books there was often a lot heavier uh writing uh I think uh than there is in many comics these days comics now tend to move along at a I'd say a breezier pace as far as the amount of density of detail on any one page and it's not that neither is better or worse but but um uh b- but I uh I think that uh, it's just um, it's, it's it's an effect of a lot of things. Uh, the you know, the influence of manga, which has led to a lot of this decompression of, of, of comic storytelling, where things take a little bit longer to develop and they have longer room. Because in a you know in a manga book, you might have three hundred pages to tell a story. In an American comic, uh, traditional Western comic, it might have taken you you might have had twenty four pages or maybe two issues, you know, forty mm-hmm. or so pages to tell the same sort of story so uh, some of the changes i might make were i to read tell the same story now would be that uh, i would expand it as far as page count giving maybe some of the scenes and the panels and pages more more room to breathe um, uh, because there's you know that that's that's more the way things are done now but there's also something kind of exhilarating and challenging about about trying to tell a complete uh, story, uh, as I did with uh, smugglers booze in that one you know fairly compressed t- timeline that, that requires a certain amount of discipline and hopefully some uh, good economy and uh, and smart selection of detail, which frankly that's what I think the key to good storytelling is giving the the reader, the the viewer, the listener, the details that they need to, To connect the story and and feel it and experience it uh, and not distracting them with superfluous stuff that you're putting in there just because you find it interesting or you know you can do it well so you want to show off. (laughs) 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 That sort of stuff.
0: Okay, so I have one really important question here. Okay, uh, Mercy says doxes are supposed to slow down at Scuff's age. How <laughs> right. old is Scuff? <laughs> well, you know, I keep that a
1: little bit on the fast and loose side um, for 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 all the for for, for the doxes in the stories, <laughs> and for the humans as well. I, I try not to get too age specific on things, um, because uh, you know, um, because I when I when I started this thing, I knew that I had a long story they wanted to tell um the, the 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 intent of the series from the very beginning was this long sort of sprawling epic tale uh this young woman's life journey and and again i think i mentioned earlier sort of like her personal evolution as a character um and i i, I knew i had a long way to go and i didn't know how long it was going to take me to get there and by gosh here we are 35 years later <laughs> still telling the same <laughs> darn story um for readers who don't know there, there have been some very long breaks between me being able to work on Trekker. So, uh, it hasn't, you know, I I haven't been so slow at getting the story told that it's taken me 35 years of steady work on the book. (laughs) There's not that much, um, going on, but anyway, so I didn't know how long it was going to take. Um, And uh, I I wanted these elements to be around for a long time, so I didn't want Scuff to be on death's door. You know, (laughs) this idea by now, even at this early stage, he's not—he's not a pup exactly. Um, uh, And you know, but Mercy's saying it almost—you know—it could be almost teasingly. I I remember when when my son was you know very young, and I wasn't an old man when he was very young, but he was very happy to call me an old man, (laughs) pointing out how old I was when I was you know in my what late thirties or something like that. So, um, maybe there's a little bit of that going on with mercy too. That's my wiggle room (laughs) so that I can keep things vague. Um, you know, one thing, if I could say another thing about this whole thing about aging, um, I, I don't know if, uh, if some of your listeners have read or watched the expanse TV series, but, um, uh, That's a show that does a great job of depicting, I think, fairly realistically, you know, with with a good deal of what seems applicable about today's technology and science for dealing with the vast amounts of space uh, and the vast amount of time it takes to travel distances in space. And um, um, they do come up with a a drive that allows for faster than light travel and stuff, but still there's just huge amounts of time spent on these travels. And how can they have the same set of characters go through several of these adventures without being, you know, (laughs) 150 years old or something. Um, And they, they, again, they also don't specifically state ages in in, that over the course of the series, but they, at at some points in the books, they refer to the fact that, you know, with increases in technology of medication and drugs and stuff like that, anti-aging or, retarding the aging process. Um, so we, I think they give themselves a little bit of wiggle room to say, well, these people, they, they've aged some, but, uh, but not as much as they might have. You know, They're in the future, so yeah, they can live longer, because you can. So <laughs> I'm going to play that card myself if I need to. <laughs> there you
0: go. Okay, so uh, you currently have a Kickstarter going for the newest Trekker uh, volume. I do, yeah. You know, what can you tell us about that? Uh, well, the, so- the
1: story is called uh, Blood in the Wind. Um, and this is a... Uh, what's happened in Mercy's life is she, you know, she is... Uh, the story we were just talking about, uh, Smuggler's Booze, as you said, it takes place in New Galaf, her her home city. Well, by now the series has gone through some evolutionary, I guess i say, steps and stages. So Mercy has gone beyond the her initial role of going out and chasing after a bounty and bringing it back. And now, um, the forces at play in her world have caused her to begin to step onto a larger stage. And she's becoming more involved with, um, these factions, uh, that are fighting to resist the, um, this oppressive gal- galactic ruling sort of council. Um, uh, so it's, uh, she, she's, finding that she she's sort of being called to play a, a, a an increasingly large role in that in that struggle, and uh she's wrestling to find her right place in that she's she comes from being a lone wolf, a bounty hunter sort of character and a very pragmatic person you know if somebody's getting in the way you shoot them and <laughs> um, so now she's having to try to figure out if she can be a team player and if so, what kind of team uh can she be on because she knows that she can't you know do very much all on her own. So uh, that's a large part of what's been going on. And in the current story, she's on a quest looking for what might be a good ally to fit. Uh, and even the quest is harrowing because these factions have to be sort of, you know, um, secretive and hidden away. So it's a long process. And along the way, she winds up running afoul of this um, strike force uh, of the ruling council called the Amber Swarm, uh, and uh, she uh, has crossed paths with them before, and so now it's like a return, <laughs> and it's a grudge match situation uh, develops. And uh, she's flying around in this sort of glider machine up in this frozen mountains of remote world, having a, an aerial duel with the leader of the Amber Swarm. Um, it sort of harkens back to my my love as a as a young boy of reading about World War One flying aces and duels in the sky and that sort of stuff so um, I, I tried to pair that with my the science fiction setting of trekker. Um, I try to make it a you know a pretty pretty thrilling and grueling uh battle up there in the up there in the clouds, so to speak and the whole point of the series or the story i should say uh, is to is to take mercy one step farther on her journey um, as as the stakes get higher and higher as each, each adventure goes on and um, plenty of action uh, and also plenty of um wondering about um, uh, the connection she has and the relationships she's building and the alliances and the chances of betrayal and all that sort of stuff. So I try to I try to roll a lot into one big tale. <laughs> wow. Sounds interesting though. No oh,
0: good. I hope so <laughs> <laughs> but you know the, the real important questions here are what's happening with Molly and Scuff?
1: <laughs> well they um uh
0: from the very beginning, uh, I, I knew
1: that Molly was not going to be the character who, you know, winds up strapping on the the, the guns and uh, going out there and battling side by side with Mercy or something. She's she's not her role isn't an action hero in that regard. And sometimes Mercy is going to be in these really really dangerous situations. Once in a while, uh, it works in the story uh, that that Molly is stuck in the middle of that with Mercy, but. Um, But other times, Mercy's going to be off having her adventures. Uh, Meantime, Molly, who is a remarkable character in her own right, just a different kind of character. Um, So at the same time that Mercy is off having this adventure in the clouds, Molly is um, um, making connections with with some other resistance forces uh, that use different methods. And she is going to be... she's going to be working with them and that's going to take her on on like almost like was well, on like on her own adventure um but there is every chance in the world that before long there will be a <laughs> dovetailing. <laughs> i guess is one, one way to put it not to not to uh, give away any you know spoilers or something like that but uh, you know the the dynamic of these young women's lives from from the very beginning of the series is you know mercy goes off and has her adventures and initially Molly was sort of, you know, she was left you know, running her music store or whatever like that. Well, th- they both stepped onto this different stage. They're sort of more getting into sort of the uh, the whirlwind, of the-, the churn that is going on. Um, and uh, uh, Molly won't be just sitting home waiting patiently. she'll she'll wind up being being involved in a somewhat of a more active role, both because I think that's what the stories call for as, as I was saying, their, 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 situations have changed. And also because frankly, Molly is a wonderful character to write and draw. And, uh, and clearly readers respond to her well (laughs) as does mercy. So, um, there I'm, 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 been really excited to find that, Oh, there are some of the, um, some of the seeds and characters that I planted in earlier stories that I'll be able to have sort of Molly making some reconnections with those to keep them, um, on the landscape while Mercy's off, you know, doing the same kind of thing with other characters. So the, the whole series is, the structure is working out, paying off well for me, that a lot of the, I, I call them the seeds that I planted in some of the first stories, um, knowing that there were elements that I was going to want to and need to um, come back to uh, as we get towards the resolution of the series, which is still some years down the road, but it's, pl- it's, it's plotted out anyway. Um, but I'm going to be able to pull a lot of those threads together in one way or another, and and hopefully construct them into a, a great, satisfying <laughs> climax by the time we uh, by the time we get to the end of everything. Good, good. But
0: no adventures of Scuff this time. <laughs>
1: Uh, scuff. No, he's, uh, he's mostly just there. Uh, I think he has a little tug of war match with Molly and, uh, then he waits <laughs> to get fed, you know, so he's, he's pretty much just a dox but, uh, uh, there are, there are some people who would really love to see a separate adventure story with, 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 uh, with scuff. He is, a he's, he's, uh, he's got a good personality. He's, he's got a lot of charisma as a, which, what, what domesticated Fox wouldn't have. Um, <laughs> so I'm still, you know, it's, it's trying to find the, um, the balancing point where I can get a a little bit of him in every issue and maybe find a way to squeeze a little bit more of him in from time to time as I can. I I, I'd like to do that. He's, he's, it's fun to draw a lovely little guy like that. Um, but you know,
0: I've only got so many pages. (laughs) Well, you know, you might might consider like an eight page adventures of scuff stretch goal for the next Kickstarter.
1: That's a really good point. I mean, I have thought in the past about doing, um,
0: a separate little, you know, scuff
1: adventure of, of some way. And, uh, Finding the finding the right one. I'm waiting for the the inspiration to strike, but uh, but I'll take it under advisement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, and of course, people who are interested can find that Kickstarter at the probably best named web address out there.
1: <laughs> well, would yeah. Uh, would you like me to share it? Or oh, you? absolutely. <laughs> it's just trekkerkickstarter.com. dot com. Uh, I made it as simple and straightforward and easy to remember as I could get as I could make it so yeah
0: <laughs> okay and that runs until the 26th uh, of May of May yeah okay. I know it was right there close to the end
1: yeah yeah we um, um we um, uh, it's been up for running for about a week now uh, it's funded in like 11 hours I did what they call a soft launch where I um, I made the 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 um the campaign go live, but didn't really talk about it on social media. I mentioned it to the people that backed the previous series and stuff. And um within one hour it earned a Kickstarter project we love badge, which is which is a, it's a nice thing. It's just campaigns at Kickstarter um it feels like they want to get a little bit of extra you know uh, support behind, which is very nice of them. and, uh, and then to fund quickly. and so now we're we're marching on to add some of these fun stretch goals where you add extra content of the book and spot gloss on the cover and that sort of stuff. And if the campaign continues to do well, we'll be adding, you know, prints and, and, uh, uh stickers and things like that. And, uh, the last couple of campaigns it's done well enough that I've had, I've added like these enamel pins and, uh, and the last campaign even had a, a fun challenge coin, uh, which was really cool to make. So we'll see how well this one does. Uh, you know, as I say, the sky's the limit. It's just a matter of the, the number of backers in the sport we're getting.
0: So you hear that, folks, get out there and get support in that Kickstarter. <laughs> That'd be that would make me happy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have I have no hidden agenda here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. Well, Ron, I hope you enjoyed this walk down memory lane as much as I did. Well, it was great. Yeah. I, I it is fun
1: to look back on those early stories. Sometimes, like I say, humbling, because I'll see the the little gaffes here and there in the in that early work, but you know that's 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 part of the process. And uh, uh, glad glad that the stories seem to hold up and work well for readers.
0: Well, as you said, it's it's been a 35 year journey, off and on, <laughs> thus far. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you know. We <laughs> hopefully we all learn and grow as as people and as uh, those of us with the talent for writing and art, you know, <laughs> grow over time. Sure, I, I hope so. Yeah. Mm-hmm so I appreciate you stopping by uh, let people know where they can find you online if they want to uh, find out more
1: oh well I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, just Ron underscore Randall Facebook I'm Ron Randall on Facebook I think I'm Ron Randall there's some number behind my Facebook handle but I'm pretty easy to find I'm the guy that does tracker I'm the comic book artist Ron Randall tracker on tracker uh, on Facebook and on Instagram uh, my, my name there is Randall Shots um, so you can find me at those places. Uh, you can always, uh, once you've, if you choose to back the campaign, uh, trekker, don't forget. Um, you can send me messages through the campaign. I love to communicate with, uh, with the, the backers of the campaigns, answering questions about the campaign, about, uh, trekker, uh, commission art requests, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I love handling that stuff all through the campaign. Um, but I'm also on the other social media as well.
0: And folks, Ron is twice as friendly as he sounds here. So you know, <laughs> don't, don't hesitate. Trust me, he he won't tell you you know get off his lawn or anything like that.
1: <laughs>
0: no, I I I,
1: I, uh, I saw so one of the great things about working on a on a series like Trekker, which is you know it's obviously the very personal passion project of mine, is that when somebody comes up to me at a at a show or reaches out to me online or whatever. And says, "Oh, uh, I'm a fan of Trekker, or I just read the latest book, and I want to know more about this character." So it's almost—it feels like I've—I've uh, I've met another kindred spirit. I mean, if they like Trekker, then they like a lot of the same things that I fell in love with about storytelling and you know, characters and science fiction and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like there's a great common ground. This is a great, and I refer to the the people back to campaigns as the Trekker community because, and I, I genuinely mean that. It's i am working together with all of you <laughs> to keep these stories going um it's 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 been thrilling to to uh have that experience uh it's it's a much more immediate and direct contact sort of thing than uh, than sort of you know being frankly being sort of a hired gun to draw an issue of some corporation-owned property <laughs> mm. not that they not that there aren't great Stories and stuff and comics being put out by those big companies—it's—it's it's great, and and the, some of the creators working on those have deep passion for you know the Spider-Man and the Justice League and whatever it is. Um, I've had great time drawing those characters myself, but it's a whole different ball game when you're working on something like with Trekker, who I just created from <laughs> deep in my guts, <laughs> is is where this stuff comes from, and then finding that that resonates with with readers—it's um, it, just like I said—it's a whole It's a whole different scale of of connection that I feel. So, yes, absolutely. Happy to reach out to people.
0: Okay. Well, once again, thank you for joining me, Ron. Always a pleasure. Great. Great to be with you again, Clinton, Mm -hmm. And best of luck with the Kickstarter. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Trekker Talk A fan podcast devoted to the adventures of
1: 23rd-century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at trekkertalk.com.
0: Hey, Mike, have you heard about my new podcast? Oh, What's that? Oh, it's where you talk to people on your computer and then put it out on the internet. Yeah, yes, I know what a podcast is, Paul, but, but what's the show you're doing? Yeah, I'm going to talk to people on my computer and then put it out on the internet. <laughs>
1: and uh, what's this called? Uh,
0: since it's a chat show and I really want to talk to interesting people about interesting things, I thought I'd call it something that was you know self-explanatory, like F for Flanger. Right. Dial F for Flanger. Cool, uh, I look forward to my guest spot. When are you going to have me on? Uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, I'll, I'll get back. Wow, well if you'd like to hear Paul chatting away on this Dial F for Flanger show, you can find it on the Waiting for Doom Network. Hey everybody, thanks for sticking with me. This is, of course, the feedback portion of the show. Before I get into that, I want to give one more round of thanks to Ron Randall for joining me. And I highly encourage everybody that's interested not only check out his Kickstarter, but check out Trekker Talk, the podcast from Ruth and Darren Sutherland, where you can learn a lot more about Trekker. So, last episode, I looked at Hyperion and the Imperial Guard from Marvel. And basically, I gushed about it for, you know, 15, 20 ish minutes and not much else. <laughs> but apparently some of y'all like that because I got like, shares, retweets, all that fun stuff from Gregory Litchfield, Drew Thulu, Billy Delicious, Bill at Spy Vinyl, Martin Gray, Gene Hendrix. you know, Gene's into podcasting and voice acting now, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, you know, the Trekker Talk folks, Chris at BTO and Bat Books. Pat Sampson, Jackson Zelda, Chris Statos, Professor Frenzy, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Secret Wars and Beyond, Comics in the Golden Age, Waffles and Mario Talk About Things, Waffles the Waffly Waffle, Waffles, you said <laughs> you're, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you make me laugh, dude. All right, An- Anthony P., David Ace Gutierrez, my Lucha Sacrificio Dark, Rebecca Thompson, Paul Hicks, Sean Hussain, Wayne Burroughs, Burroughs, sorry, did I say Burls? Wayne Burroughs, Tassel XYZ, and Max the Wonder Dog. Over on Twitter, we got some direct feedback from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, who says, direct feedback. Really, Rick? Really? We also got feedback from Alan Middleton, who said, Glad you had one you really loved. Great listen. Well, you know, if you're like me just gushing about stuff there, Professor Alan. Uh, Martin Gray says, I remember reviewing this one. Great pick. Well, thanks, Martin. I appreciate it. And we got an email from Jason Zeller. Jason says, hi, Clinton. I read this issue and truly enjoyed it. It definitely had a Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes from a different era feel to it. Yeah, Jason, I'm I'm interrupting here, folks. Yeah, Jason, like, really... That's what I was going for when I read it. That's what made me love it so much. And I did, I don't think I even said Superboy in the Legion when I reviewed it. All right, back to the email. He says, I always wanted that story where Superboy had one last mission and one last day to hang out with the Legion before he had to grow up. I like seeing Hyperion as a young hero learning the ropes. One of the interesting things I noticed was that no one on the team had pupils except Hyperion. Even Gladiator. Does he usually have pupils in his other appearances? While I agree with you that I too like Gladiator's taller mohawk, it actually made story sense as it is a younger Gladiator. The heroic sacrifice of the Imperial Guard was a melancholy ending, but once again was crucial to the story of Hyperion learning loss and bringing that chapter to his life a hard closure. The other touches I liked in this comic were the issue number 121 angle, as if this was an ending they had finally decided on for a long-running series, complete with an editor's note referring to issues 96 through 99. Also, having the classic and missed letters pages make a return was an awesome inclusion, especially referencing 90s... I lost my place especially referencing 90s comic lore like Wizard Magazine and quotes like Until the Top Creators Formed Their Own Rifle Publisher, a.k.a. Image, it gave this comic an old-school feel that was much welcomed. I now really want to read issues 1 through 120 as well to get the complete story. If only they existed in our universe. Oh, Jason, Jason, you always sum up everything so well. I keep thinking you need to be doing this podcast not me. Man, yeah. That that's it exactly. That's See Jason Jason summed up what I couldn't last episode. This is why that issue was so good. It was basically a Marvel version of Superboy and the Legion and really felt like a lived-in universe. Oh man. So that is that's the feedback here folks. I hope I didn't bore any of you with this latter half. Well, latter half, latter uh, 10% or so of the podcast. But hey, I'm glad you stuck around for it after all. Uh, Again, thanks to Ron Randall. Thanks to all of you for listening and sticking it out with me. And until next time, this is the place where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com or on Twitter at Coffee coffeecomicsblg.